As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning, that it's not suitable for children. And it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast. So Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging.
it does play with your head. After 18 years, you do learn to kind of compartmentalise it and you go, this is awfully sad, but this hasn't happened to me. The families don't need me to be another sad person for them. They need me to help. I printed out a picture of the book cover and I stuck it on the wall next to my computer. And every so often I'll just look at them and remember why I did this, because it's about these faces that need me to speak for them. And every so often I'll look at them and just go, oh, okay, <laughs> I, I feel a bit teary today because I'm, I get to speak for them, and which is a privilege for me. Nicole Morris started a website more than 16 years ago called Australian Missing Persons Register. It was something she began as a personal project, but it soon turned into a valuable resource and advocacy platform for the families and friends of missing people in Australia. Now, some of these cases and stories are in her first book, Vanished, told through the experiences of siblings with a missing loved one, the desperate searches in the first days, the police investigations and, for many, the heartbreak as the years, even decades go by with no news and no answers. Nicole's joined us for this episode. I've always had an interest, I suppose the same as you and Michelle, you have an interest in what happens when someone goes missing, what happens uh, if someone has murdered them who has murdered them and why. And it's that curiosity, I suppose, that was inherent in me. And it was sort of sparked as a teenager, I read the book, um, It's a Long Way to Truro, um, about the Truro murders. As a teenager, these girls that had gone missing and then were later found were my age. And that affected me greatly. I wrote to the mother who had written the book, the mother of Juliet Makita, and just said, I'm so sorry about your daughter. This, I'm the same age as her and this is just awful what's happened to you. And she wrote me a beautiful reply and we, we corresponded a few times. And she was just so grateful that I had that compassion as a teenager. And the interest, I suppose, grew from there. And I guess like you guys, it was just that curiosity and I just wanted to learn as much as possible about what happens to a missing person. Uh, what happens and how they went missing and who they were. And so I read as much as I could. And then in 2005, I watched a documentary on SBS about uh, how Australia didn't have a national database. And it was about a young man who had a missing aunt. And then he learned about some remains that were found. And there was no way of figuring out who those remains belonged to because there was no central data to, to figure it all out. And it turned out that these remains were his missing aunt, that was Susan Eisenhood, and that, that case is still unsolved. And so I thought, well, there should be something online. There should be a website that gathers all of that information together. And so I thought, well, I'll make one. And I taught myself how to make a website, not very well, but, uh, and, and just, it was just originally designed to be a resource for people who wanted to find out about missing persons. And I scanned photos from books and I gathered newspaper articles and I just put all of that on the website. And it grew from there. And and as I added more and more, and then the family started to contact me and said, oh, can you help me? Um, is there something that you can do for me? And can you add my person? And from there, I guess I started to talk to the families and to get to know them and say, what do you need from me? You don't need another person to be sad for you. You need someone who can do something for you 
and who can give you some advice, I guess, based on what has happened to other people and uh, just help them through this awful, awful process. And it just really grew from there. And I can't believe it's been 18 years. (laughs) Well, Nicole, it's really great to see you in person. I've known about your work for a long time because your website, your blog, I often reference and did reference when I was a journalist at Leader Newspapers and looked it up for some of the stuff I've written. And we've had um, email correspondence over the years. But, and you know, these things, you're doing it as a passion. You're doing it. It's almost like a hobby. And obviously, you've got life going on, working, family, or, you know, like pets, life. How did you go about doing it in, t- in terms of, was it on weekends, at nights? How did you go about starting it? It was difficult, I think, because I had really little children at that time. I think my daughter was five when I started it. And so that was emotionally difficult because you're facing cases of abducted and murdered children and I've got little children of my own and that was awful. It was something I felt compelled to do. So I just did it whenever I could. You know, if I was home with children, I wasn't working at that time. I was a stay-at-home mum, so I did it then. Uh, And it was later when I went into nursing and then it became a bit more difficult to juggle two careers. But in a way, because I'm a dementia nurse, I feel like my day is stopping people going missing because I I work in a secure unit. So it, it all ties in together. And I guess you just balance it as best you can. And it just, it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster and it just keeps going. You've now turned this passion of yours, this incredible resource, and you've written a book called Vanished. I think what I find so great and different about what you're doing with the book is that you're focusing on siblings. Why did you think it was so important to tell their stories? I was inspired by an amazing sibling. I uh, had a friend who died and his sister had to make all of these phone calls, all of these awful phone calls saying the same thing over and over again, my brother has died, my brother has died. And I just thought, what a role that she took on because who else would do that? And it made me think it's usually when somebody, when a family asks me for help, it's often a brother or a sister. My brother is missing, my sister is missing. There are messages I get every single day. Can you help me? My sibling is missing. And so I thought it needs to be recognised that those roles are the ones that are taken up by brothers and sisters. And often it's because I think the parents are, sometimes they're elderly and sometimes they're just not able to cope with the massive amount of stress that comes about when you have a missing loved one. And to lose a child is the worst thing in the world. I will maintain that. And often it's the other children that will take on that role and and say, radio, I'll step up. This is down to me. I will deal with the police. I will deal with the media. I will make appeals for these people, sometimes for decades. And it was just that unique relationship between siblings that I wanted to highlight, I think. How many um, stories have you put in the book? There's 10 in the book. I actually ended up, I wrote 20 and then I realised that a 500-page book doesn't work. (laughs) So um, I started editing it and it was actually the writer Justine Ford who is just a legend, uh, true crime writer, and she said to me, Nicole, don't savagely chop these stories, just make it two books. So um, I, I just did 10 and then so I've got another 10 sitting there, you know, ready for me to finish off. Yeah, I didn't want to 
takeaway, like I felt everything that these families had said was important and I didn't want to discard anything. I didn't want to make it really short because that was one of the aims I really wanted to expand and say, tell me about what they were like as children. Tell me about their favourite song. What was your favourite memory of them? I wanted all of that whole picture instead of just a face on a missing person poster and you don't know anything about them. But what I wanted to to show in the book was these people who had these amazing lives, like Tony Kavanagh had this great makeup that covered her freckles and Jason rafted down the river with his sisters and said, don't tell mum, don't tell mum, we'll get in trouble. And all of those happy stories that make up a whole life because they were whole lives before they went missing. And I guess for you, you know, speaking with the families, often siblings, there are cases, people on your register, your resource, where there has been developments in the cases, hasn't there? Yeah, absolutely. The first case I ever did was a mother who contacted me about her son uh, who was missing. And I said, oh, yes, absolutely. I'll add him to the website. And then she messaged me and said, oh, thank you so much for doing it, but we've just found his body. And it was devastating to me. And I'll never forget that. And he had taken his own life in the Blue Mountains. And so you never forget that. There's been so many over the years, but it just keeps going. And there have been successes. I think people often like to focus on the located people, but I like to maintain their privacy as well. So if if people say, oh, you know, who, who's been found, who's been found? And, and quite often I won't get to know about it because I don't investigate it myself. I say, if you have information about this person, here is the Crime Stoppers number, here is the police link number, take your information directly to them because they're the guys who go out and physically drive around and find them. Uh, so I'm a facilitator for the information. Uh, so there've been quite a few. There, there was one, I remember, it was a man who didn't want to deal with police, but he called me and said, I'll talk to you, but I won't talk to the police. My girlfriend is on the register and they actually had just done an age-progressed photo of her. Uh, so that's what he had spotted because I had released this as an appeal. And he said she is alive and well and safe, uh, but she really is worried about coming back to her family. But between me and the police, we managed to get her home, which was amazing. And to, to, to just gain her trust and say, it's okay, you're not in trouble, it's not a crime to be a missing person, all is forgiven, your parents just want to see you. And eventually we convinced her to go home and her parents were just beside themselves. She had been missing for a really long time. Uh, so there's successes all the time. And I think it's, it's never too late as well. I think there's a case in the book from 1979 and I absolutely think that there is still successes to come from that case. I still think that there are things to be uncovered and uh, progressions in that case to come. I, I firmly believe that. Well, why don't you tell us about that case? Kay Doherty and Tony Kavanagh were two 15-year-old girls. They weren't best friends, but they were friends from school and they were good kids, but they were just 15-year-old girls who wanted to have a bit of fun on a Friday night. And so they decided that they would not tell their family the truth about what they were doing. They got together and they decided that they were going to go to a disco in Wollongong down in New South Wales. One told their family that they were going to their friend's house to babysit. One told their friend's house that their aunt was taking them to the movies. Neither of those things were true. But it was just meant to be, let's go to the disco and we'll be home 
before anyone knows that we've been anywhere. They were last spotted at a bus stop outside the Warilla Grove Shopping Centre and I've spoken to the woman who actually saw them that night and I've interviewed her for the book. And so she saw the girls. They said, hi, how are you going? We're just going to the disco. So she didn't know if they were waiting for a bus. She didn't know if they were hitchhiking because hitchhiking was really popular back then. And that was the last anyone had seen of these girls. The weird thing about this particular case, I mean, there's odd things about all missing persons cases, but a couple of weeks after the girls uh, went missing, both of their families had letters sent home, supposedly from the girls. Tony's family do think that the letter was written by Tony. Kay's family are 100% sure it was not written by Kay, uh, mainly because it was just not her style. She was um, an outstanding student and there were words misspelled in the letter, whether that was deliberate for with a, a, like a secret message from Kay to say, I'm not okay, or was it not written by Kay? But logically speaking, it doesn't make any sense for either of these two girls to just take off and go somewhere. They had nothing with them. They had no clothes. They had no personal possessions, no way of getting there. Both of them were shy girls. They were very devoted to their family. Kay had never been out at night before. Uh, So it's unthinkable that these girls would just take off. And the letters were strange. They just said, hey, we've just gone away for a little while. We're okay. Bye. It was very, very strange. And there were a couple of other letters involved in missing persons cases at that time. There are a couple of other cases in Sydney where letters were sent home to family members, weirdly. So whether that's all connected is unclear. But the other aspect of the Kay and Tony case that we really have to remember is that Ivan Malat was working on the roads, on the exact road that they disappeared from at the exact time that they went missing. Whether or not they would have got into a car with Ivan Malat if they were wanting to hitchhike to the disco, I'm not sure. I think he would have been a fairly scary-looking person at that time. It's difficult to, to know what was going through their heads, whether they were desperate enough to get into a car with anybody, whether they did catch the bus because the bus driver was never interviewed. There's so many things that, you know, what could possibly have happened to these two girls. But here we are in 2023 and they're still missing. Mm. Yeah, and obviously with the passage of time, looking at it with the filter of how investigations run today, you can see where things were missed. You know, people are like, oh, they've just run away. What gives you some thoughts and hopes that something could break through in that case? Uh, Like, do you know anything or is it just more thinking because of people's interest and online and podcasts and your book? What makes you think that this could really still be solved? Yeah, there is um, a retired police officer who I spoke to in the book, and he has had people approach him and tell him stories about people, men who have chased other people in the area, um, an area that he believes should be dug up. Um, There's areas around the sand dunes. There's about three different people who have made mention of the sand dunes around this area. 
And I think, you know, it's, if it's just the case of getting in an excavator and digging up the area, that seems really simple, but it would put a lot of the theories to bed or confirm them. So there's another person of interest uh, who was active in the area at the time, um, whose family member has said, yes, I think my father could have had something to do with it. So I think sometimes it's difficult for the police of today to actively investigate really, really old crimes uh, if they've got no new concrete evidence. And obviously it's expensive to reinvestigate things. And when they've got 53,000 people a year go missing, they have got to focus on all of those people. It is really difficult, but you've still got Kay and Tony's family saying, where are our girls? So if it can be investigated and it's not too difficult, then it should be. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. What's one of the oldest missing persons cases that you've, you know, written about in the book, but also that you've covered on the on the register? And as I said, I have spent a much time like just looking through reading, you know, it's an incredible resource for writers, for podcasters. I mean, you've done such a great job, but I'm so thrilled that you've put your own book out just because you've helped so many people. Yeah. And it's always been a dream of mine. That's to write a book was always my dream when I was a little kid. So this is dream come true for me. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I think one of the other really old cases in the book from 1986 is Norman Lawson. And this is a name that should be known by everyone and no one has ever heard of him. And his family said to me, 
thank you because no one else is interested. And this kid was almost certainly murdered and it's never been investigated. And probably because all of the suspects are now dead, they'll never find justice. They may never find him. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be as talked about as all of the other high-profile cases. He was a 16-year-old Indigenous boy um, from Darwin and he was an amazing kid. He had his own business. He ran a timber cutting business. He employed people at 16 years of old, just an Indigenous kid from Darwin. For him to do that, that's amazing. And he was a lovely kid. He really wanted to put himself through university. He wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer for his community. He was a beautiful, beautiful kid. And his sister just said to me just a couple of weeks ago, she said, I still miss my best mate. And that was 1986 that this boy went on a camping trip with a group of people, a group of older people. And we're not really sure why he did. He normally went on camping trips with his best mate, but he went on this camping trip to Kakadu. And we don't know what happened on this camping trip, but Norman went missing and none of the people that he was with ever reported him as a missing person. And they all scattered after that trip. They all just disappeared. And his family said, where's Norman? And it's quite an involved story. It's uh, it, it, it involves remains that were later found with gunshot wounds that the police said, yes, this is him. And then they said, no, it's not. And they still don't know if the remains were definitely him. But as far as we know, they were not. And so I asked the Darwin authorities, uh, okay, if it wasn't Norman Lawson, then who do these remains belong to? And they, no one really knows. It's all been forgotten. It was, you know, such a long time ago, but it's it's so important still to this family. And there's also a weird story about uh, Norman's gun being later sold to a police officer. And the gun was found packed with a yellow clay that was only found in the area where Norman went missing. Um, so his family think that that was used as a digging tool and, and the barrel became packed with this clay and it was sold to a police officer by the people that he was with. And yet still no alarm bells were raised and no one said, okay, there's something very, very wrong here. Uh, and so to this day, this is a case that nobody knows about, but he's such an important kid who can't be forgotten just because there's no prospect of justice, his family have no answers about what happened and no real idea of, of who was investigated, why they were investigated, what the police found. It's just, it's very sad. That is sad. And that's the thing with what you're doing. And that's the kind of work that I think really piques my interest in other people. It's like, I don't know about Norman. It's just unacceptable, isn't it, that um, they don't have answers. So I'm, I think that that's the power of what you've done with your book. It's like you're giving a voice to people and I think that's so important. And and for you doing the work that you've done, the passion that you've followed, I mean, it, it can take a bit of a toll, can't it? I mean, you know, there can be a bit of a vicarious effect, do you find? Yeah, I think so. I think so. As It was really hard at the start and, as I said, I had little children and it was 
it it does play with your head. After 18 years, you do learn to kind of compartmentalise it and you go, this is awfully sad, but this hasn't happened to me. So I can't spend my whole life being sad. It absolutely still gets to me. I printed out a picture of the book cover and I stuck it on the wall next to my computer. And every so often I'll just look at them and remember why I did this, because it's about these faces that need me to speak for them. And every so often I look at them and just go, oh, okay, <laughs> I, I feel a bit teary today because I'm, I get to speak for them, and which is a privilege for me. It can certainly affect you and you really have to look after your own mental health. There are times when I just think, okay, I'm just going to take a little break for a week or so. There are times where I just say, okay, today I need to sit down and just do some meditation. I need to sit down and watch a comedy movie, just something mindless to not think about it for a little while. You just can't let it consume you. As as I said, the, the families don't need me to be another sad person for them. They need me to help. And that's the only way you can view it because if you just think to yourself all the time, this is so sad, this is so tragic, this is awful. I once had a woman who called me about her friend and she said, Nicole, I'll never forget this, Nicole, they have they found her body but they haven't found her head. And where's her head? Where's her head? And that gave me nightmares for a long time and I'll never get that out of my head but you just have to approach it by saying, okay, I was able to help her. I was able to make appeals for her. I was able to be on the other end of that phone and listen to that phone call. And maybe she couldn't talk to her friends and say that to them because that's horrifying. But if she can say that to me, then, hey, that's what I'm here for. That's right. And that, and it's very hard and it is very disturbing to hear that. But this is a reality. I mean, you're not, this isn't fiction, it's fact. Yeah. What's one of the other stories in the book, like you mentioned, Norman, that people just don't know about. And it's like, the thing is, every family story is so powerful. So tell us about one more. I think uh, a story probably people don't know about is Mark Lester. And that is a heartbreaking story. And I'm so grateful to his family because unlike all the other families in the book, they will get nothing out of the publication of it because he's no longer missing. They have just done this completely out of altruism, out of wanting to honour Mark, I guess, by talking about his life. But it is the most painful story. And there were lots of tears when we all got together and talked about it because he has a beautiful family. And Mark was just really, really unhappy most of his life. And he really tried to fit in, but he just felt like no one ever really cared about him. Um, Mark tried to take his own life a lot of times. And despite his whole family saying, we love you so much, please let us help you, he could just never accept that he was loved and never accept that he was so wanted on this earth. And um, eventually Mark did go missing. And the whole account from the first time his sister contacted me and said, my brother is missing. I've tried to put that in the book almost word for word and to just show people the, the process of what happens and checking in daily. Has there been any news? Has there been any news? Which is difficult in itself because the answer is always no. No, we still haven't heard. No, we still haven't heard. He didn't come back for mum's birthday. He's missed Christmas. It's all of that process that the families go through that I wanted to highlight and that this family so generously talked to me about and the pain that they went through and then finding Mark who had eventually taken his own life, but he had been missing for quite a long time before he was found. 
And I'm just so grateful to them because I hope that it, by telling their story, people will understand uh, what this family went through, what the family of a missing person goes through and all of those little tiny interactions um, with the police. The things that they remember as well, I think something I often say is that a police officer will have thousands and thousands of conversations with families of missing persons and people who are deceased, but that family will only have one interaction with the police and they will remember every single word that is spoken. I have another family who I spoke to who will be in the second book and she said to me uh, when the police came to talk to me about my brother, they sat on the couch in my lounge room and I eventually had to throw the couch away because every time I looked at the couch, I remember the police officer sitting there. And this family remembers all of the interactions with police and everything that the police said to them is vivid in their memory. And that's both good and bad. They they remember every interaction. But I think that's important as well. Maybe it's a learning tool for police to sit back and say, okay, what we say and how we say it is vitally important and we have to be so careful because we may do this a thousand times, this family will only hear this once and it is crucial because they'll remember it for the rest of their lives and that's I think part of what this family wanted to say to people and the message they wanted to get out there was it's important, how you talk to families is important, what we go through is important. They also detail how they had to deal with all of the financial matters that is left over when someone goes missing. Uh, you know, who keeps paying the rent and who? what do you do with their car and how long do you wait after someone goes missing before you deal with all of that? And so this family did all of that as well. And I think I, I wonder if Mark would be happy with us telling his story because it is painful. It's a story about a very serious heroin addiction. It's a story about multiple attempts on his own life and, and eventually... Uh, Mark did take his life and I wonder if he would be happy with that. I wonder if he would say, okay, if this story helps one person, then we've done a good job. I wish that Mark had made different choices and I wish he was still here today and I wish he knew how much his family loved him. But that's an amazing family who, who did such a great thing by opening up and talking about this story. Well, the book is out June 7 and it's, it's an important book. It's an important book for people to remember that they're not just passively taking in information because sometimes that happens with uh, true crime stuff. So I think the stuff you've mentioned is really important. So we'll make sure that we have all the details in the show notes. And is there anything you want to say, any final thoughts for listeners um, or anything that you want to say? Uh, I think I'm just really grateful to people who take an interest in missing persons because sometimes it's a difficult topic to talk about. And I guess if we can make people understand what it's all about, that's a really good thing. And if you've ever been on Facebook and spotted a missing person appeal and clicked that share button, thank you on behalf of all of those families because that's a one tiny little act that could lead to someone being found. And so that's uh, everyone is very grateful in the missing persons world for people who do that. Thanks to our guest, Nicole Morris. You can go onto the website, Australian Missing Persons Register. The details are in our show notes for this episode. And you can also pre-order Vanished, which is published by Big Sky Publishing and on the shelves and online on June 7. 
If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 13 9276 or 13yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.